a healthy ecosystem has a lot of mushrooms in it. So if you're walking in the forest and you see mushrooms, or if you have mushrooms in your backyard growing, you're doing the right thing. These mushrooms can consume organic waste very quickly. They're very intelligent, they're very adaptive. Their DNA can change to make something become a food for them very quickly. Wow. And so what they can do is start eating cotton, leather, polyester. They can teach themselves to do that. Cannabis, you know, there's a couple of plants and a number of strains, you know, 20, 30 strains. But within the fungi kingdom, there's, you know, over 3.6 million species. And we haven't even studied all of them. Penicillin comes from the fungi kingdom. So this is an antibiotic that saved hundreds of millions of lives in penicillium, which is a fungi. So um, within the, the world of, of medicine and health, we've actually been using fungi for a long time. Just probably haven't known about it. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com well ladies and gentlemen my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast today i have to say i, I have the benefit of knowing you already so which is a, a bit of a coup but julian mitchell welcome to unstoppable Kerwin, great to uh, to join the show mate it's great to ha- great to have you here um, now, I always ask every guest this question um, because you've done so much. Like I know you've had many iterations you've been, you've, you've, in your life, but when you're at a dinner party, and let's say you sit down at a dinner party with eight people you've never met before, and the, uh, the attention turns to you, the room goes silent, and someone says, so what do you do? How do you answer that question? I start with a little icebreaker. I'm a mushroom farmer. Yeah, I'm a fun guy. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> Sometimes, most of the time, hopefully. Yeah. And it doesn't get too serious, but... Um, yeah, mushroom biotechnology is not something that people know a lot about. So yeah. having to break that down into essentially just you know growing mushrooms, extracting mushrooms, and interested in the future of human evolution, actually. Yeah, and right. So if those two fuse together really nicely, what does the future look like? Well, it looks like incorporating mushrooms from a medicinal point of view, a planetary health point of view, a sustainable point of view. So yeah, uh, interested in mushrooms and how that can help inform and direct a sustainable future for humans and for the planet. Now, mushrooms are becoming quite topical and also very popularly topical at the moment because of you know, the resurgence in psilocybin research in the USA. Um, so is that an area that you guys play in or you guys work more in the, uh, in, in the supplements? It's the number one question we get. Like, yeah, right. are, are these magic mushrooms? Which, which one these... do I take to get the, the it, visuals? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or keep them away from me. I had, did that 20 years ago and I don't want to go back there or whatever the, the case was. And it's, you know, Joe Rogan and all of these guys um, are very much across it and, and publicizing it. And so it's, it's getting a rapid rate of knots in terms of traction as well yeah. as Harvard Medical School, London Imperial College, all the big universities, Stanford studying it, as well as a lot of capital investment going into it. So yeah, in short, um, we are interested in that space in the US. Right. Um, very early in the infancy part of, of what we're doing in that space over there, but it's um, it's building up enormous attention and capital. And so over the next five years, you're gonna hear a lot about it, just like with CBD and THC. Yeah. The next wave is, is the psilocybin, but also, you know, you see ketamine clinics at the moment opening up pretty normal in the US at the moment. You see MDMA therapy happening and clinical trials happening. So, um, you know, all of those psychedelics, ayahuasca, all of these things are being looked at from a mental health point of view, because I guess maybe over the last 15 years, we're really struggling with suicide rates, with mental health, with depression, with PTSD. You know, how do we help these patients with those things? Because the current form of medications aren't maybe doing what they can um, at their best level from a long-term point of view. So these are all being looked at as they should be. Um, so it's exciting to sort of watch it from afar, being mm. an Australian. Not a lot happening here in that space. It's mostly in the US where it's almost like watching led. the marijuana movement 20 years ago. Yeah. and just But it's the evolution of this movement seems to be uh, far more rapid, I think, mm. because cannabis seems to have paved the way in many respects for the open mind that's required to be able to, you know, consider 
the medicinal properties of other plants. But I think it's also important to mention, like a lot of people go, you know, I think one of the reasons cannabis got such a bad rap in the early stages was not just the way it was framed and marketed, but also because a lot of people focus on purely the, the psychoactive ingredients and the benefits of the psychoactive ingredient. And what became, cannabis became probably what most widely used and known for was the, the non-psychoactive properties, mm. you know, the CBD, which uh, you know, has many you know, neuroprotective, anti-inflammatory. I think many people have been affected or have been um, impacted by all around the world now, not just in the USA. Mm. But is it fair to say mushrooms kind of fall into the same category? Because I think there's a lot of people that, well, I tried mushrooms 20 years ago. I don't know if I'd, con I'd consider that a medicine. But there's many other, and that's what I've discovered, you know, speaking to you and learning more about the products. There's many other medicinal qualities within a range of different mushrooms outside of just psilocybin. Exactly. It's a whole kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of if you look at cannabis, you know, there's a couple of plants and a number of strains, you know, 20, 30 strains, maybe a few more. But within the fungi kingdom, there's, you know, over 3.6 million species. And we haven't even studied all of them to the extent that we need to, to understand what they can do, what key can they unlock, you know, in terms of their functions and benefits, both for humans and for you know things like you may see on Facebook and things around microplastics and some fungi being able to break down plastics and some being great for building material and some being great for breaking down fossil fuels and some being potentially great for mental health like psilocybin and others, you know, which is the magic mushroom, others such as lion's mane, which show great benefit for brain health. So it's just so much out there that mm. it's, you know, from, from our point of view, we always joke that it's more than one lifetime's worth of work yeah and we're only touching the surfaces with you know the six mushrooms that we typically use at the moment but we've got a lot more in our library um that we're sort of studying at the moment and just doing toxicology testing laboratory testing to understand because it really is an uncharted continent and within that in australia there's mushrooms that aren't anywhere else in the world yeah right same in the amazon and same in other parts you know in eastern europe so that's what's fascinating about it. it's very fun <laughs> Literally, yeah. It's, it's also interesting because when you look at anything that has a, a medicinal or a medical application, most people, you know, often are kind of either affected by a placebo or, or something that can be actually felt. Now, I got put on to you, I think I told you this, um, by my chiropractor. This is going back, you know, I think a couple of years ago now. And he put me onto your lion's mane. And um, this is before I heard, heard Joe Rogan talking about it. This is before I heard, you know, Dave Asprey talking about your products as well. And that's where I was actually quite surprised because I'm someone that's quite sensitive to things, but I'm also someone who I, I take have taken a lot of different types of supplements. Yeah. You know, I'm very heavily geared towards performance, especially brain performance and physical performance. Uh, I'm constantly looking for routines and supplements and just hacks that I can use to optimize my performance and increase, you know, probability of flow state. Yeah. And what I found really interesting is the moment I took Lion's Mane for the first time, I remember just thinking to myself like five minutes later, holy crap, what's going on? Like it was almost like a not what's going on. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I could literally feel my like parts of my body, especially when my brain's starting to wake up. It was like I had a, a couple of cups of coffee, but without the jitters and that nervous anxiousness because I don't drink coffee. I can't drink. If I have, have a coffee, fuck, you don't want to see that. It's, it's, uh, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> but um, I was quite amazed because not only did it pick me up, it created a level of mental clarity that I was actually, I found quite profound. Now, I know we have to be very careful with the way that we talk about this, but I'm someone that's experimented with, you know, psilocybin before from a therapeutic perspective. I use it to treat my PTSD very successfully along with MDMA therapy, but I've also used um, psilocybin and LSD um, previously for microdosing, for performance. And one of the things that I found, you know, using LSD, using psilocybin was the, um, the almost immediate effects in terms of your ability to feel an optimized state of performance. And that's where I was quite surprised because when I had the lines, I was like, oh my God, this is legal because it was quite a profound effect. Yeah. What is it about lion's mane specifically that enables you to, you know, feel what you feel when you take that supplement, um, you know, versus perhaps, you know, others that we don't really feel anything. Yeah. I mean, I think from, from our point of view as a, as a company, the focus is on just like with CBD, you know, there's many CBD brands out yep. there and there's many options to have. But I guess you want to get, you know, at the core of it, we started our business as mushroom farmers. And so we went from being a mushroom farming company to being a biotechnology company and then to, you know, working in biotechnology and in flavorings. And so working in those spaces, we're able to find new ways to extract, new ways to grow. And at the core of it, just making a pure product and a fresh product. And that's like many other supplements out there. Like, you know, we know turmeric is good for us, but are we getting a great source of it? And I guess 
it's great to hear that that you had that experience and it's something that we get quite commonly because we're just backing down back to that you know quality and making a good product and so within the lion's mane itself it's got what's known as nerve growth factor ngf and so it helps stimulate the myelin which is the insulation around your electrical system your nervous system and so as we get older that myelin that insulation wears away like an electrical cord wearing away and what that means is the the impulse isn't as smooth that impulse may be memory focus concentration articulation being present being able to think clearly and so it helps remyelinate the nerve cells so that impulse is smooth and fast and so that's what giving you those feelings yeah right and so that's a you know this is very well documented in research and if we yeah. look at these mushrooms they're you know they're native to chinese traditional medicine for thousands of years and when yeah. i was in china there's you've got pharmacies but you've also got chinese traditional medicine shops if you like with just roots and you know mushrooms all over the place and so that was very inspiring to see that and i guess we just thought of how do we do that with australian growing mushrooms and just provide a high quality product that's clean and pure and you guys descended going from strength to strength because i know when i you know it was a few years ago when i first got turned on to you but now everywhere i go i seem to see your products like living in byron i think that's probably a little bit of a one of the reasons why you're in every single store around here but also the brand itself. I'm now seeing, you know, you guys have just uh, got on board a couple of USC fighters. Who are you working with? Who have you yeah. got working with the product now? Yeah, it's been, an, I mean, we sort of knew this, hoped for this. We took, we, you know, walked the plank and said, we're going to go all in on mushrooms. Yeah. Four and a half years ago, when I was a health consultant, background as a physio and my uh, co-founder, Ryan, you know, he was in the exercise physiology and psychology, but we were interested in performance, saw the CBD space, saw the future of food playing out and thought, well, mushrooms is going to be popular in the future because people want transparency, purity and, you know, natural things from the earth. And so really from there, you know, the first three years we were, you know, working away and people were like, oh, that's interesting, but not for me or, you know, for the most part. Um, in terms of that adoption curve, you get those early adopters. And then in the last 12 to 18 months, you know, the wave has came in terms of we've caught that wave and the timing is right and it's just you know going full steam ahead right now but i guess from a business point of view for your, some of your listeners that are interested in and i'm sure what you advise is that point of being you know too early or too late yeah and people were maybe in mushrooms 20 years ago um, but you know which i think we just were lucky to get the timing right and we're lucky that we focused on a quality product and that what that quality product has done for us by internalizing all of our systems from growing them to having a team of scientists and biotechnology engineers and nanotechnologists and mycologists and micro i don't even know what these people did or how to spell these things a few years ago but they're at the core of our science and then beyond that we've got a great front-end team of, of marketing and business strategists and things and so all of that has culminated nicely with the timing of the market with getting the product to key stakeholders meaning you know sampling to to ufc fighters and other guys and you know, the year started with, you know, getting a shout out from Joe Rogan, being on Tom Bilyeu, Dave Asprey talking about us, all from a, a pure place of trying the product and recommending it, um, which was amazing. And from there, it's flowing on to UFC fighters like um, Cody Garbrandt in the UFC, um, Cody, Justin Gaethje, who's about to fight Khabib in a big fight. So the UFC guys have, have really, in, I guess, athletes and working in the English Premier League previously, they're so in tune with their body, like yourself, because you're you know, a high performer needing to, to be on at all times. They feel these things, these subtleties, and then that gets them, gets them on board, which is great. So, and we love working with those guys. I think that's the thing with me, especially with the Lion's Mane product, you, the fact you can actually feel it. Mm. You can really feel it. But it kind of leads me to the question, where, where did this all begin? Mm. Like, what, what's your background, as you said before, was a physio. Yeah, physio, young kid growing up in Australia, want to play cricket for Australia, want to play AFL, want to do something along those lines. Um, I guess that got cut short for whatever reason, um, didn't make the cut. And so what can I do? Well, I want to be involved in performance. I love it. Um, and so went down the physio path to be a sports physio, um, worked you know with A-League teams and with state soccer teams. And then my first job out of uni, lucky enough, was in the Premier League, which is sort of the the highest level of soccer or football in the world. And so had great exposure to the best surgeons in the world, the best psychologists, the best physios, head of medical, spent some time with F1, um, with Red Bull and Toro Rosso, spent some time at Chelsea and Liverpool. So performance was my, what I loved doing. Yeah, but right. then it didn't sort of match up with my lifestyle, what I wanted to, how I wanted to live my life over, you know, the, the longer period of time in terms of if I have 
kids get married, see family, see friends, being away all the time, being in hotels, being, you know, it sounds luxurious, but I just... It's fun for a little while. It's fun for a little while. Yeah. I did it for two seasons and it was a great experience, yeah, a great exposure to see What that. teams were you traveling with? I was with the Wolves at okay. the time. And when I, when we first started, we were on top of the table above Man U and all the guys. So it was, you know, to jump out of WA Fremantle University into the Premier League where you've got young guys who are 20 with driving Maseratis on £100,000 a week minimum. Um, a different world, yeah, know, a different world of celebrity and notoriety and performance and professionalism. Um, although Australians, you know, definitely can ha- hold their head high in terms of professionalism when it comes to sport, in terms of doing the work behind the scenes. Yeah, um, those guys were another level on top of that, and the science was another level on top of that. So it was great to get that exposure and have that responsibility. I think the first guy I, I treated out of uni was Christoph Berra, who was a an international for Scotland was, you know, very well known. And I didn't know because I was from Australia, I didn't know who he was, but he's like, you know, come into the, the treatment room. Jules got, you know, injured back and all the other physios were out on the track. So I was like, all right. And so put put the gloves on and go to work. So I was thrown in the deep end, um, but it was, it was good. So that was a great experience. And from there, it was just uh, not a natural progression to become a mushroom farmer, but it was going yeah, into entrepreneurship. You... Okay. So, but so that's the question. How do you go from physio to entrepreneurship mm. to mushrooms? Yeah. It was, I guess, just an avid learner as well. Right. Love reading, um, and at that time, I, I came back. I sort of probably had like a, you know, a quarter life crisis in the sense of I reached my goal. I didn't want to do it anymore. What, what am I going to do? Sort of thing. Um, and so I came, and I was just working my socks off over there. Probably burned the candle too hard, but that's okay. It's what you do when you're young and you're trying to make an impression. Um, so I came back to to Perth, worked as a health consultant. Um, and to be honest, a very cushy job, you know, working for a big company, work half the year for, you know, um, a, a great salary. And it's like after, you know, 12 months, it's sort of twiddling your thumbs like this isn't it. This is, you know, there's more to it than this. I'm not just going to sort of live a comfy life. And I guess so, um, yeah, my co-founder, Ryan, great friends, always has a, had a business interest as well. So it was sort of trying a couple of things um, and then realized. the first things you tried? I mean, I built an app when I was at the, in the Premier League Yeah, right. called Elite Gym Trainer Pro, okay. um, which was taking programs and how the, the Premier League players would train and allowing that to be for the masses, I guess, um, that sort of top secret ways of training and playing. Okay. Um, but I wasn't that into it, you know, I guess it was, a, so I had the inkling, but I was probably not hungry enough to push it. And I, so I went and traveled Europe for a bit while it was getting released and stuff and so you know, I didn't push it as hard as I could have um, which is fine um, and then I guess I tried a, a performance management um, company in terms of consulting for health stuff would I know yeah um, but that was not scalable and I didn't have a background in business and I guess I just learned from one very book very good book was Peter Thiel's zero to one mm. that was very defining in terms of how to set the chess game up for a business that's going to last and, and how to think about business because everyone goes into it in a, with a, in a way with a bit of a copycat mentality where they're like, they see it a few times so they'll do it. But where the real magic is is where things haven't been done at all before and you're there in the paddock by yourself and you're building something and you know that people are going to come towards that or the market's going to gravitate towards that. And I thought, I guess after looking at everything, that's where mushrooms were in our mind. They'd been around a little bit in the past, but they hadn't been done from a biotechnology point, well. Right. Um, is that how mushrooms first came onto your radar as a biotech product or was it as a, a consumable? Just as farming. Yeah, just right. Just farming, just okay. agriculture. Um, and, you know, we started growing mushrooms. So I guess went from yeah, the Premier League to health consulting role, very comfortable. That was great to, I guess, accrue some, some capital yep. um, and some time to read and go deep on personal development. And, you know, I was reading all of those books, you know, Zero to One, Nikola Tesla, Einstein, Steve Jobs, just all of that, just accruing knowledge. And and then just, I guess, looking at the market and just, yeah, going all in on the mushrooms. Um, and that's been beneficial. And we've had many lucky things along the way and meeting the right people from business partners to scientists to you know, mentors to lucky breaks, as many of those, but at the same time, it's just nonstop for four and a half years. Yeah, right. And so what was the evolution? Because I, I actually found out a little bit more about your story because I, I, I read, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that you guys actually started off with distribution to restaurants with mushrooms in WA. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So we were mushroom farming. Yeah, right. So we were the world's first uh, uh, urban mushroom farm. So we set up sea containers um, 
in urban plots because the first tick for mushrooms was okay they you know they don't require a lot of water they don't require any pesticides or chemical input they can be grown off of recycled waste material or what's considered re waste such as coffee ground yeah and in Fremantle as a port it's you know it's a hub of cafes so lots of coffee ground that's getting thrown out um, going to landfill so we can collect that coffee waste for free as a free input we can grow mushrooms out of it and then we can sell the mushrooms back to the cafe great for marketing because they've got a great story that's sustainable yeah and they like that local produce and these mushrooms sell for a premium because the rest are coming from china um, so that ticked all those boxes and so that's where we lent in and started and, and you know we we pitched it, this idea um, to the council of uh, and the mayor of Fremantle, and we had never grown a mushroom although we said that we'd done it a little bit we said yeah we've been growing mushrooms and we'd love to scale this but we'd never grown one single mushroom um and we got some some money and we crowdfunded and we were able to um you know start that way and then we kicked off and got a good amount of media we were on abc early and we got that was back in the day where organic reach would you could things could go viral um, without too much engineering yeah and it got 1.7 million views on abc and then we had david wolf who's another sort of health crusader um, who was, you know, one of the probably the biggest name on Facebook back then. Um, he was getting. I remember him, listening to him on Luke's story. He was getting a billion views a month or something ridiculous. Shit. Ridiculous. Like he was putting out videos all the time. And I got off the plane and he'd posted about us randomly. Did a little video on us and it got another eight hundred thousand views. And this was in the space of two weeks that we yeah, had that wow. ABC and that. Um, but we didn't really monetize it that well because we were selling you know, mushrooms to cafes. So we yeah. couldn't scale product to people in Europe that wanted our products or... Um, Is that what got you thinking biotech? Or like, yeah. okay, how do we take this and create something that we could distribute all over the world? Yeah, because I guess the farming algorithm is unfortunately pretty predictable where it leads to the big shopping, big, um, you know, food grocery stores. And then it's a, you know, you're just battling on price because they're the only one that they're gonna buy from you. And then you've got a, a product that's not shelf life stable. So, mm. you know, um, it was just seven days a week farming and I thought again this doesn't fit into the lifestyle that I want to live necessarily and it's not scalable um, to the point of making as much impact as we want to. And so what put extracts on the radar? Just looking at the, the science and the research because right. I had a physio background and we brought on a young scientist named Tom Lucia who's a biotech engineer so we spent a lot of time reading articles that nobody reads. And that's a lot of science, actually. There's a lot of research out there that no one reads that professors will publish and sits in a vault somewhere. That's why I was amazed when I started studying psilocybin. And I was like, oh, my God, there's literally, you know, a thousand plus yeah. published papers from the 60s, mm. you know, in relating to the medical benefits. But yeah. it, almost nobody seemed to know about it at the yeah. time. Yeah. So it doesn't, they, those professors aren't great at, uh, I mean, that's probably a weakness of universities. They do great research. And in Australia, especially, it doesn't get commercialized as it should, which is only gonna support the universities more and support the economy more and support entrepreneurship more. So I guess that was something that, you know, we had up our sleeves that we could read research. And, and then by doing that, you know, because these articles are like reading, you know, another language in terms of how they're written and the numbers and the end values and the confidence intervals and blah, so blah, like blah. reading so, a story about someone describing pain. Yeah, they're, they're, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so we just zipped right to the conclusion and, and then read that in different parts of it. And what it showed was that these mushrooms have been studied from great institutes all around the world and great professors and had great, you know, promise. And so we needed to do that from an Australian point of view, grow them here and grow them in the US. So we have a US facility as well. Um, and so we're able to, I guess, just provide that product at a high level and we haven't done that research. That research is already out there around nerve growth factor with lion's mane or around tarki and, and lentinin, which and you know prevents the elastin, elasticity breakdown, so skin breakdown. Which mushroom is that? Shiitake. The shiitake, yeah, right. So the shiitake mushroom is underrated for that. And okay. so you can consume a kilo of shiitake, but you know, or you can just take some extract and you can have it in your handbag or you can have it in your bag or you can travel with it and it's shelf-stable and you can have it in 500 health stores we can sell it online, so it was really a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, you hear that, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was sort of, I guess, the natural. I think there was some stumbling yeah. in business. You know, we went into it very naively. Um, left it sounds like there's been a few pivots. Yeah, there yeah. has definitely, and I guess that's what you'd call them. Yeah, yeah, for us, it was just sort of natural progressions, but it's definitely a pivot in the business at yeah. each point as you sort of start to see where the natural traction is and where you should go. 
Um, but the key point was just getting started in that mushroom space because I guess what we've been able to accumulate in terms of intellectual property, infrastructure, team, company, um, you know, we were only four and a half years old, but we probably feel like we've done 10 years worth of work. And so mm. we've been able to, from a business point of view, I think get ahead um, in an important way because as per zero to one, competition, you know, is inevitable and will come in at some point and try and commoditize you. And so how do you build defensibility? How do you build a moat around your little thing? Well, you know, by doing it ourselves, by growing it ourselves, by having all of that done, all of that infrastructure and IP and patents, um, you can't just, you know, get that off Alibaba or somewhere else like other products that you can get and the mushroom powders. So the, the mushroom powders are very different to the liquid extracts. The liquid extracts is, is what we do from start to finish. The powders, you know, is very much coming from China. And so any powder that you see on the market is, is a Chinese product and has been monopolized by China. And um, I just think, and we believe as a company in terms of mushrooms, you want, they're like batteries. They will store the information from the environment that they're growing in. And so is that soil and air and water that, where do you want that coming from? And when you have a place like Australia, it's Byron Bay, Northern Rivers, mm. um, WA, where we started, just pristine air, water, soil, coffee ground, all of those things, um, it's a no brainer. I think it's a, that's, that's probably the thing that surprised me, like, you know, cause you, you, you see, you know, life cycle Byron Bay. And I guess some people's assumption would be, oh, they're, you know, they're boiling these on the pot at home, mm. you know, selling them in the markets and they've got a, you know, they've got a bit of distribution. Yeah. But you guys are, have actually done this quite well. Like you've, you're actually running this as a proper business. This isn't like a, a weekend and it never has been a weekend business by the sound of it. You guys have structured yourself properly. You've gone, you're actually, you've actually gone through and raised capital, I think, as well. We've raised some capital and, yeah. and these are all, you know, never growing a mushroom and definitely never raised capital. So yeah. great steep learning curve for Ryan yeah. and I and the team and bringing on great shareholders, um, which, you know, is not easy to do either. Um, and so keeping a very cohesive team. And one thing I learned at Wolves was, you know, because we got relegated in, this, in the season, meaning, you know, if you don't make the top, 16 in the English Premier League, you get dropped down to the next division. And so it's high stakes down the bottom. If you get down the bottom, you lose huge funding rights from Fox, from Sky Sports. And so, you know, as a company, the sports team loses a lot of money from doing that. And so we got relegated, but really what I saw there was, you know, a disjointed team, no team, just mm. eyes, just a couple of big players from other big clubs that were like, you know, I get paid 20% of the total team's salary, you know, so I'm better. And, and so that really, I think, was a downfall. But it was great to see that from behind the scenes um, from that teamwork point of view. And so I think that happens a lot within companies. And mm. you've probably seen it a lot, that self-implosion. Yeah. Um, and, that, and you hear about it from other businesses and other friends and people involved that, you know, their biggest struggle is getting everyone on the same page, walking the same way. And so we've got that right now. We've had that the whole time. And I think that's a huge, huge part of our success that you can't see within other companies. You can't see that because you don't have that inside intel. But from our point of view, we're definitely um, yeah, aligned and that's a huge win. It's very freeing in terms of where you get to spend your time. Yeah, right. And so you guys are expanding the range all the time. You started, you started with Lion's Mane, is that right? Started with... We started with the mushrooms, the fresh mushrooms, then we yeah. started with mushroom coffee, and then we started with the liquid extracts. And right. so we had and what, some. And what, yeah. li what liquid extracts did you start with? We started with, yeah, the lion's mane, very right. popular, um, although very hard to grow, um, but we've been able to nail that. Um, then we've got the reishi, the cordyceps, the shiitake, which all sound very foreign, especially a few years ago, they sounded foreign. Now they're becoming very mainstream, these, these, these terms. Um, the shaga, we don't grow this mushroom. This mushroom is is known as the king of mushrooms for its its health benefits and what it contains within it, such as betulinic acid, scuminic acid, um, yeah, the betulin, the trace minerals such as zinc, iron, potassium. So it's, it grows on birch trees. And in Australia, we don't have birch trees because they grow in very cold climates like northern North America, right. parts of Canada. So where you've got you know snow up to here and it's up to negative 20 degrees, and that's where birch trees flourish. And so on these white birch trees in the forest, you'll notice the shaga mushroom on the side of it, but it doesn't look like a mushroom, it looks like a big golden chunk. And so like a knot or something. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's sort of living symbiotically with the birch tree. And the birch tree, you know, according to Native American and Native Indian uh, you know, research in you know, history, this birch tree, they use the sap 
for medicinal purposes. They use the leaves for birch tea. They use the bark. For me so the birch tree itself is known to be very healthy and very beneficial. Yeah, and right. This is what the chaga is growing on, and it grows over a period of 10 to 20 years. So it grows very slowly in a cold climate. And so when you think about that, you think, well, it's just very resilient. This mushroom, how does it grow in such cold climate mm. on an amazing healthy tree? And, it's, and that's, its, that's what it's growing from. That's its environment. And so uh, it's a very powerful mushroom and it's very rare to find. It's almost like it. You know, so the, how do you find it? We don't farm it, we find it. Really? So we have foragers, yeah. Okay. And so is that a more of a limited release type of a product? It's limited in terms of its supply, yeah. Right. Yeah, and especially because we want to do it sustainably. So we've only just released this mushroom because we wanted to make sure the sources and the relationships we had with the foragers were good and that they were going to be sustainable and there wasn't going to be over harvesting because it's a certain way to harvest it so it grows back. Gotcha. And so we wanted to make sure that was that was all fine and locked in and so now we've got that mushroom to the market and it's uh, it's just a powerhouse and um, it's got a nice taste to it as well. And turkey tail, I started taking turkey tail and you were saying that that's, that's been quite successful for some people um, in treating stomach digestion? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the research again on these mushrooms is so wide in terms of yeah. what it can do. I saw a, a National Health Institute research article that Paul Stamets did another great mushroom um, personality that has done research on the turkey tail mushroom with the US government for a compound called PSK for using it in conjunction with chemotherapy. So that's fascinating that that's happening. And in Japan, this mushroom, the compound PSK from turkey tail um, is being used a lot in that treatment as well. So this is in the, in the pharmaceutical world, I guess that that's being starting to be very explored. And if we look through history, penicillin comes from the fungi kingdom. So this is an antibiotic that saved hundreds of millions of lives in, you know, across the last 50 years from World War II and different, different situations. So that's penicillium, which is a fungi. So um, within the, the world of, of medicine and health, we've actually been using fungi for a long time, just probably haven't known about it. Why do you think fungi, because again, it's like one of these things that's been so widely documented, so widely researched, but why do you think it's taken so long for it to hit mainstream? I think there's, there is something called mycophobia, which is the irrational fear to mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> is that for real? It's a real thing. What's it's it called? Mycophobia. Mycophobia. M-Y-C-O-phobia. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I think that happens on two reasons, one being the psychedelic reason right. and all of the, the media and things that's been around psychedelic mushrooms and the 60-70 movement that really put a stop on mushrooms um, and put the, painted a bad light on them as a hippie movement and negative, um, even though they've been used in shamanistic rituals for you know hundreds of, if not thousands of years, that was sort of forgotten about and not appreciated or respected. And then we went to that 60s, 70s movement and so people were like, oh no, stay away from mushrooms. They will, you know, you might jump off a, a building or you might do something, um, even though you know you could have probably five to 10 kilos, which is an enormous amount and still not overdose from a toxicology point of view or from mm. anything. So yeah, I think there was actually a report from the OECD put out in terms of most dangerous drugs in the world. Oh, yeah. And number one was alcohol and psilocybin was right down the bottom as if not number one of the safest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guess that st stigma still exists. And also familiarity. How often do you see a mushroom? And so you see a mushroom pop up out of the ground every so often, maybe, you know, after a, uh, some cold temperatures after the winter snap, when the sun starts to come out again, um, if you're in the forest, but how many people are going to the forest? So there's no familiarity to seeing them in their wild. And maybe the familiarity is there, because it's so funny, I didn't even think of this, but I remember even my mum as a kid, like whenever you'd see a mushroom, she'd say, oh, don't, don't touch it, it could be poisonous. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like, is that a bit of a cultural That's like mix? saying, don't get in the car because you're going to have an accident. Yeah. That's literally the risk um, ratio that you have or getting on a plane and, you know, but at the same time in saying that, you know, you, you shouldn't consume a mushroom that you don't know because you don't know. Um, and there's, you know, there's probably a dozen to two dozen that are poisonous, um, but there's many we don't know about as well. So it is an uncharted continent. So because of those things coming together, um, I think that's really held us back mm. in our, and actually in terms of scientists as well, and and in terms of what we learn at university for studying science, fungi is left alone. You know, the, the professors, the lecturers, there's just no knowledge there. Um, it's very niche, but it's changing very, very quickly. Everyone's moving into that space, um, which is exciting because there's so much there. 
you know, there's so many, as I mentioned, like millions of strains that we don't mm. know anything about and strains that we probably don't have in, haven't even identified yet. So burgers is one area that's becoming popular. We're doing some work in that space, um, developing a mushroom burger. I actually uh, uh, interviewed Michael Fox from Fable yesterday. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. So he sent some of those mushroom burgers for us to give a great, great, great. So exactly. So this because you guys are going to be doing a mushroom burger as well. We've got one in trial at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it, I guess going back to at our core, we're a mushroom farming company. Yeah. And we have laboratories and we have facilities to make different products and applications. Yeah. We played around. I remember we chatted with. You know, we've done trials with Aussie Post and IKEA. The textile waste so we've done many things in terms of research of different functions so these mushrooms can consume organic waste very quickly they're very intelligent they're very adaptive and so you know maybe we're used to eating a certain food they can, can start their dna can change to make something become a food for them very quickly wow and so what they can do is start eating cotton leather polyester they can teach themselves to do that and so that's what we started doing with these mushrooms in the laboratories can they actually then like because i remember you mentioning that some of them can actually break down microplastics mm. do these mushrooms have the capability to you know because one of the things we're, we're aware of is what you feed your plants you know is going to end up in your stomach yeah when those um, mushrooms consume like the microplastics are they able to convert them to some form of nutrients to eliminate the the, the, the toxic yeah, they Put sort through. of they can ha they can increase the half life, so how quickly it breaks down. But for yeah, plastics right. as well, it can help break it down. And talking about plants, we do have a, a research division dedicated to working with plants as well, because we know, you know, in terms of what happens underground under the soil, this is where mushrooms live mostly. So people think of mushrooms, they think of above soil, but the mycelium, the roots of the mushrooms, is really a lot of where the magic is because this is an internet communication system. The mycelium network. Mycelium network. And so this allows all living organisms to communicate underground. So it's the original internet, allowing trees side by side to talk to each other, communicating. It allows, you know, under, on the undersurface of a rock you, in, in the forest, you'll often find a white mat, and that white mat is mycelium. And what that my, mycelium is doing is breaking down the minerals and the nutrients from the rock and giving it to the trees in exchange for nutrients. So it's a business transaction because the roots cannot, they don't have the application or the engineering or the innovation or whatever to be able to break down a rock, but mycelium can. Mm. And so they're helping break down those minerals and transferring those minerals and allowing that communication to happen. So that's pretty magical. And so it's a healthy ecosystem has a lot of mushrooms in it. So if you walking in the forest and you see mushrooms or if you have mushrooms in your backyard growing, you're doing the right thing. What happened and what we hear a lot about, especially early in the days when we were doing farming, was the farmers saying, when I grew up, I would, you know, we would, as a family, when mushrooms would pop up, we'd go get them all and we'd eat them and you know, there'd be mushrooms all in the paddocks. And now there's no mushrooms in the paddocks because of the new way of farming, the overuse of pesticides, mm. the overuse of tilling, not going towards a regenerative model, which we're now starting to move towards. We've been going towards get everything out of the out of the soil you know, and model. then and then just pump it with some chemicals and some pesticides and pump it and pump it and then eventually oh it's not working anymore because you haven't been giving it back what it actually really needs and you've been killing off the mycelium which is a huge component of healthy soil it's up to 30 percent of all soil is mycelium wow yeah i remember reading something this is going back a few years ago it was the first time i came across the understanding of the mycelium network yeah. and i was fucking blown away it gave avatar a whole new meaning <laughs> like it really did it's, it, you watch it again when you know what mycelium is and it's yeah. everywhere in the movie with mycelium it's yeah. even better <laughs> and um but i remember reading the hierarchy of a forest and you know how and because you know i think oftentimes we we don't under, we don't know where the intelligence really lay mm. And I was quite surprised because when I was learning about the hierarchy of the forest and, and what's that, there's a whole science now that is dedicated to it. You probably know what it's called, to the regeneration of forests and understanding how to build those different... Like agroforestry? Yeah. Some, some Permaculture is the other one? Where... No, something else. I can't remember. Anyway, but I was, I was quite amazed that the, 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 the mushrooms, they are the ones that hold the intelligence and, and become the communication system between all of the organisms, all of the living beings within yeah. within a forest. Mm. And you take that away and, yeah, it's like taking the, it would be like taking the internet away from Pretty much, right now. Yeah, yeah. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, and so it, and we just need to work with nature, not against it, which yeah. we really have been doing for a long time. And is, we are part of nature, so we've been working against ourselves by having these models of growing food, of, you know, consuming food and different things. And so if we help, 
harvest and manage the mushrooms and the mycelium, then we can help, I guess, with our own food supply and, and grow organically and healthier, more nutrient-rich food. Because I think a lot of the food today is uh, deficient of nutrients and taste for that matter. Mm. It's all based on economics more so where it's, okay, you know, the button mushroom, for as an example, the reason we consume that mushroom is because of the way it's easy to farm or it's easier to farm. It has a good shelf life and it's able to look nice and white, which the, you know, the, the mother or the whoever's doing the shopping prefers that. It looks cleaner, it looks nicer. Mm. And, but it's not the one with the most nutrients. And there's so many more out there that have more nutrients and, and are actually even tastier. And so that happens to a lot of food in terms of we, we choose this, the farmer grows this banana strain because it's better to ship, it's easier to ship, it has a longer shelf life and those reasons. It's not because it's the tastiest or the most nutrient. And so that's across everything that we do. So when you go to Coles, Woolies and whoever else, the tomato is chosen, that strain is chosen for that reason, not mm. because it's the healthiest or tastiest. Yeah, right. It's interesting, the mycelium network thing still playing, rolling mm. around in my head because I know in the past when I've, you know, um, taken psilocybin, it's almost like you feel connected to mm -hmm. nature. You yeah. feel like you can see and not necessarily talk to the plants. Yeah. But is that a function of mycelium? That's a good question. That's, that's not in the science. Yeah, right. From a point of view of like, you know, is our vessel getting overtaken or what yeah. is happening out there? Because I've heard so many people talk about this when they, yeah. you know, when they've taken, you know, psilocybin or, or, or mushrooms, magic mushrooms before and they go, it's almost like I can, I feel like I'm more connected to the earth. Mm. I'm more connected to mm. nature. Yeah. Uh, and it's one thing that I've seen, especially with my very commercial friends, the more they have explored yeah. psilocybin, the less industrial they've become yeah. holistically and the more conscious they seem to yeah. become when it comes to just the environment that they play in. I think that's, that's hopefully the mushrooms doing the right thing, infiltrating and changing the software with, and, the, and the programming yeah. within that person, whether it's PTSD, whether it's um, ego, you know, the ego death, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, just their, their outlook on life and what they value, it just changes. Yeah. And, the, you know, the research on mushrooms for addiction and things are oh, phenomenal. phenomenal for smoking. Yeah. You, know, you can have one, one dose of psilocybin um, according to some research in the US and you won't, you know, you won't need to smoke again or you're very able to cease smoking. So those benefits are very wide. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know for me, I had um, pretty chronic PTSD for a good 20 years, you know, for a whole range of reasons. And I tried all sorts of different therapies yeah. to, to relieve the activations, but it wasn't until I did uh, a couple of high dose um, under controlled conditions, yeah. um, psilocybin yeah. um, experiences mm. combined with MDMA talk therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I have not had a PTSD activation since. Yeah. And this is someone who is literally, you know, I traced the, to the end of the earth, read, researched, yeah. hired, worked with, and yeah. it was nothing that I could kick. And then sure enough, two experiences later. And, and was how like, was it recommended to you? Was it recommended to you? Well, the him? funny thing, I, I'm trying to go back. I remember Stealing Fire. Yeah. I read the book Stealing Fire. Yeah. And um, uh, in that book, they were talking about how they've been using MDMA therapy and psychedelic therapy, LSD therapy. And I became quite fascinated. And so then pick up the book, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide by Dr. James Fadiman, who yeah. you know, is one of the, the, the greater pioneers of the, the 20th century when it comes to psychedelics. And then I started going through all the research and the documentation and how it had been used in the, the 40s, 50s and 60s and the early indicated works, the, 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 the research around you know, the treatment for trauma and how the trauma-related conditions, depression, addiction and everything else. And then I started to find more current information and I spent about a good 18 months researching it before I yeah. took my first experience because I wanted to build knowledge. Because I think that one of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to any form of supplementation, but especially supplementation that is psychoactive, people just go, oh, I can treat my PTSD, great. And they you yeah, know, yeah. go and have a whole big mouthful of magic mushrooms, yeah. sit in a dark room. and They haven't done the work. background research no. as well, so they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And this is the thing. This is what I've learned with, any, with the treatment and the application of any supplement. There are many other variables. And with the, psycho, the psychedelic therapy, I found it's not just the consumption of the psychedelic. Mm. It's the, the mental and the physical preparation. Yeah. You know, it's the, the physical and the mental preparation the day before. It's the, the preparation, the ritual on the day. And then it's the post work that you actually have to do afterwards yeah. to ensure that those integrations actually follow through. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people might be jumping on the bandwagon that, oh, you've just got to take mushrooms and it'll change your life. Maybe it will. Yeah. But there's certainly a, what I've learned personally, there's a process yeah. that if you follow it, you know, from an ethical and a moral and a considerate standpoint, obviously yeah. legalities mm. excluded in this conversation, 
um, there's a lot of benefit that can be attained. And I think that's probably one of the most important things we could do yeah. as a community is you know, really be endorsing the responsible use yeah. of these yeah. sorts of things. And looking back through history, you know, again, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, the shamanistic ritualistic yeah. use of them and how they were administered um, in that setting, in that environment to treat yeah. um, is how it was. It wasn't, these weren't party things necessarily. No. And so that's where it's also lost its way. I think in the 60s and 70s, it lost its way potentially there also because they were parties and, and which is maybe fine. Timothy Leary has a lot to answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, in a good way or a bad way? I don't know too well, much about Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary, he's the guy that popularized yeah. um, psychedelics. That's how it got out to the college. That's students. how it got out to the masses. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I was quite, because it was synthesized by Albert Hoffman, I think, in, or LSD was in 1948. And it was the LSD research that then dovetailed into the psilocybin research. And what was interesting were a bulk amount of the research and development and application of early development and testing was done in Palo Alto, mm -hmm. uh, which yeah. this is in the 1950s, early yeah. 1950s. Yeah. And so then we had the, the, you know, the psychedelic revolution moving into the 60s, which was mm -hmm. predominantly driven by um, Timothy Leary, who at the time, you know, just come out, of, he was a Stanford professor. Yeah. And, uh, and it blew up. It absolutely blew up. Timothy Leary ended up getting thrown in jail, you know. <laughs> Uh, LSD and magic mushrooms became criminalized and demonized yeah. and you know there's been a lot of work that's really had to be done you know and a lot of time that's had to play out in order for you know I think the community at large the culture at large but also the governments at large to start considering yeah. you know alternative treatments and I think we've reached that point in society where we've got to start looking for alternative treatments because the existing ones we've got just I think that's what's happened we've reached yeah. a pain point now where people are like well I've got a dying or a sick brother, sister, mother, or a father or son has PTSD or depression and I've got nowhere to turn, um, where do I, where can I go? Yeah. And so that's what's caused this innovation or this, this rebirth. So where to from here for life cycle? For life cycle, the focus is really a lot of US in terms yeah. of growth as a brand and as a company. So um, yeah, we haven't really touched that too much. So we've been, I was there most of last year and, and growing the brand there and growing the company there. Um, and just focusing on new products and focusing on getting the education right and just holding true to making a great product because yeah. I guess our repurchasing rate is very high. Once people try our product, then I can see they, why they come back. You can feel it. Yeah. 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 So they'll come back once they try it. So it's really just getting that out there. It's back end scaling of production, uh, you know, keeping up with supply has been difficult, not necessarily due to COVID shortages, but due to, um, I guess, people tuning in more to their health tuning in more to natural products. So COVID's been good for you guys? COVID's been, yeah, it's been positive for sure. So, um, you know, that's fortunate for us. We feel lucky about that. And, you know, karmically, that's nice. So I guess for whatever reason, um, because a lot of companies and obviously businesses are struggling at the moment. Um, and so we've been able to, yeah, weather that storm and go well from that. And it's helped obviously push e-commerce as well because people aren't been able to go out and so that's helped helped with our online presence and our brand and so yeah new products um i think we're really just getting started we're at the tipping point of, of the curve uh, from a, a business point of view and a brand point of view because now we are getting the attention of of big world-class athletes and names who are coming to us saying hey you know we'd like to work together and we've been using your product and we like it so that's exciting um and we just want to create making keep creating a great product but beyond life cycle i guess we've got the other divisions as well so you know the burgers we have um we have the the poultry and the animal immunity stuff so that's you know uh, substituting antibiotics essentially or finding a need because another huge issue that we're not necessarily talking about or the world health organization has mentioned many times is antimicrobial resistance resistance to antibiotics because if you get you know certain diseases or viruses or bacteria infections then they give you antibiotics because it's the only tool they have in the toolkit but if that doesn't work, then because you've, you've had it several times, then you don't have an option. That, that's the last line of defense. And so we need to think more preventatively in terms of building immunity. And so we've been doing that with chickens, um, with bees, with aquaculture, with barramundi and prawns. And so what we're finding is that these, within the bee trial we did at a Canadian laboratory, we're able to improve the bees lifespan by 8.22%, which is significant given they only live for 35 to 45 days. But what does yeah, that right. mean for the bee? It means <clears throat> the bee's not subject to antibiotics, meaning first and foremost, there's no antibiotics in the honey because this can be, going back to transparency, 
Um, actually something that a lot of honey has in it is antibiotics. A lot of eggs can have trace amounts of antibiotics. And so again, making our food food and fuel pure for us mm. and making sure the animals that we're working with are super healthy and happy as well. So to produce a, a good honey, you need a healthy hive and to have a healthy hive, you need a high population and to have a high population, you need no disease. And so we've been able to work in that space and prevent disease in those birds, in those bees. And so that's something we're very passionate about because it's on that supply chain of what's getting to the human at the end of the day and all the way along, it's a, a more pure natural way of, and a harmonious way of working with animals because actually what we found was a lot of marsupials in Australia will consume mushrooms in nature. So they know that these mushrooms have an immunological benefit. And the way that they were able to carry out these studies was that they would look at the stools at these marsupials. Some would be living in the trees. They would come down in the nighttime and they would consume mushrooms for those immunological benefits. Yeah, wow. And it's the same actually with, with bees. So bees will consume mycelium in nature. So they'll, they'll go to a rotting log, which is where mycelium is mostly based on a, on a rotting log, and they will consume it. Wow. For those immunological benefits. So these are funny little um, anecdotes and findings that point us in the right direction towards the benefits of mushrooms that have been naturally been going on, you know, under our feet and, you know, in front of our eyes with animals. Hmm. Phenomenal stuff. So, mate, if people want to find out more about the range, more about life cycle, more about the products and the, and the yeah. potential benefits that are on offer, where do they go? Health stores, we um, you know, cater to a lot of health stores in, in Australia and different stores, but also online, life cycle, spelt C-Y-K-E-L. And when we founded the business, it was we were inspired a lot by Sweden and what they were doing in Northern Europe in terms of the way they live, work, are harmonious with, you know, nature um, from parental care to work leave to structuring companies there's a lot of great companies that come out of that part of the world for how small they are and so Seekel is from that pronunciation in Sweden so lifecycle cykel.com and yeah on social media dm instagram facebook reach out to us happy to um, have a chat about mushrooms we could chat days (laughs) <laughs> four days fantastic Julian mate thank you I know you're just up the road but thank you so much for coming down always good to hang out absolutely <laughs> ladies and gentlemen Julian Mitchell on Unstoppable this episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It the world's leading fast growth program for business there you have it guys thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me your host Kerwin Ray and please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.